welcome to this week's episode of Get Live with the Crew titled Nothing Was the Same. Um, I think that title is fitting <laughs> for the good old Golden State Warriors and all the troubles they have endured over the last, shoot, I'd, I'd say over the last two months, really. They've gone through wholesale changes, whether it's from injuries to uh, Kevin Durant's departure and Iggy's as well. Um, the fellas and I, we talk about the significance of the Warriors down to their last playable player, which is now D'Angelo Russell. And the rest of the Western Conference, as always, is pretty competitive. So stay tuned and thank you for joining this week's episode of Get Live with the Crew. Coming your way right now. Here it comes in your face. People get Anthony Davis, they don't know how to act. It's <laughs> <laughs> crazy. People lose Anthony Davis, they don't know how to act. <laughs> <laughs> That was good. That was good, bro. <laughs> good thinking on your feet, kid. I'm trying to, you know. Nah, that was really good. Um, all right. Speaking of losing people, that was a great segue, Mo. Um, my man, uh, <laughs> not my man, uh, Steph Curry. <laughs> my man, Steph Curry. I'm, I'm not, guys. I'm not laughing at his injury. I'm laughing at the fact that people really thought I was wrong about everything pertaining to Warriors. Like. Yeah. I was spot on. I told you guys Draymond Green is good for that team and that team alone. Um, I said Steph Curry doesn't make any of them better. He just makes their lives easier. Um, and Clay Thompson is fragile. And as you can see. Um, I wouldn't say fragile. He, he fragile. He, he just. Uh, I don't think he's fragile. What do you mean fragile? Fragile meaning like. This is the first, just just the first time he's ever been injured in the playoffs. How he fragile. Not not in the sure. playoffs, sir. I'm just talking about fragile. His, his like people when I hear when I hear people talk about Clay Thompson, like, oh yeah, he's tough on defense and all this other stuff. The man just know how to slide his feet. Like Clay Thompson is low key. Uh, is he, he gets buckets put on, and and we were actually talking about this at the gym yesterday. Um, shout out to UNC Chapel Hill for the open gym session. Um, we were talking about that there, and we were saying how Clay Thompson only plays okay defense because he guards opposing point guards and he's six seven with somewhat long arms. Like he just gives them a tougher time. And he wouldn't be playing those same point guards if Steph Curry could guard them. So, you know, it just it was just a really good day to be right yesterday. <laughs> um, I I mean I'm not gonna completely disagree, but I I'm I'm trying to figure out what, what uh what standard we're holding people to defense nowadays because uh, I heard the same thing being said about Pat Bev. Yeah, that yeah, that's actually how the conversation started because we were talking about who's the best perimeter uh, defender. That's a guard technically because we all know who the best perimeter defense players are. They play on the same team now. Um, <laughs> so we were trying. There was like, all right, so what about Pat Bev? And it was like, well, Pat Bev makes it extremely difficult for the opposing guard. Like, I mean, it's extremely difficult. Like, it's super hard for you to have a, a comfortable game playing against Pat Bev. Mm-hmm. You know. Of course, with the fact that everyone trains nowadays together and everyone just like everyone's bag is real deep. Let's just say it. Let's just say it that um, like people are getting closer and closer to um, I'm not going to disrespect Kyrie by saying they're getting closer to Kyrie, but they're just getting closer to everyone has a handle now. Um, I'm saying they get close to Dame Lillard. You know, yeah. Yeah. Dame Lillard. I mean, but even Dame Dillard, Dillard, Dame Lillard has more of a. Um, his moves are just—I feel like his moves are just quick. Like he—he'll he'll hit you with a little boop, 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 and then step back. 
Um, whereas who I really think CJ McCollum bag is deeper than Dame. Let's talk about it. That's you said CJ McCollum what? But his range is limited, so be true, true. But his bag is deeper. Like CJ could take it from three. Oh yeah, mid range. Go to the post. Like it's it's just you never know what he's about to pull out. Dame Lillard, you know, depending on where he get the ball at the court, what's he what what he's about to do. He's gonna catch you with that three from the logo. High um, <laughs> screen gonna come up. He gonna pull the pull the big man up, and he gonna drive past them. Like you, you know what Dame gonna do with CJ. You just don't know. Yeah, like, I'll give you that. But that's what I'm saying. How many how many point guards are coming on the court? You really don't know what they gonna do, other than Kyrie. <laughs> uh, Honestly, I I mean, granted, it's only been a couple games, but I might I might have to throw a. Uh, Trey Young into that conversation. Oof, he injured. Oof, he's in, yeah, he's injured now. <laughs> yeah, but he said, "Come on, man." Um, oh, uh, yeah, I could, I could see him in that conversation. Yes, it's not like Steph Curry, where like you know he, he's just gonna pull. This man's an actual facilitator. He will. I was just, I was, all right, so if we're if we're throwing if we're throwing people in the conversation off of five games, what about Ja? Nah, he's gonna go to the basket. That's not even a question. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> he goes straight to the basket. <laughs> what y'all was doing? Um, but no, I was actually gonna say that Trey's bag is deeper than Curry's. Curry's is we all know what it is because we play basketball. You know, your pump fakes are only as lethal as you are a shooter. Like if you're an okay shooter, no one's gonna go for the pump fake like that often. But Steph Curry, he's the greatest shooter of all time. So the slightest. The, he could just accidentally twitch and the defender goes flying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's it's true. It's because it, the difference is on somebody who's an okay shooter, you can late contest. You can be there a split second late, and as long as you're in the area and they and they sent you there, you know that you're affecting the shot. Whereas Steph Curry, you know, not only can, you can't be there on time, you have to be there early. You have to be trying. You have to be trying to okay. Uh, fair get enough. There for Give the, you that, but the, but bringing it back to the original point, the Warriors. Are some deep boo boo, you know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm gonna keep it like that for in case there's any kids who might listen to this. Um, real, real deep boo boo, and what do I mean by that? They have no one else. Steph Curry was the last line of defense. Oh, well, no, they have D Lo. I mean, not disrespect the say? Brooklyn Net all star from last year. Yo, D Lo is about, I think he's about to have a season, I think he's about to go off because he is going to be leaned on heavily. But you don't think that's a detriment? I, I think Steph Curry. No, it's, it's, it's going to suck for him, but he, I think he's going to step up to the plate, and I think he's going to be the force that's going to have to keep this uh, Warriors game, these this Warriors team in relevancy in the West instead of being demoted back to being one of the worst teams in the West and a laughingstock throughout the league, hmm. which a lot of these bandwagon fans don't even remember. <laughs> right, right. People don't remember when the, the Warriors was a turnstile. That was that was that was the game you got yourself right with. I think it was what the 09 Warriors practically. I think it was like the 09 10 Warriors where it was just like, oh, yeah, no. this is this is a dub on the schedule. No pun I remember intended. it was definitely the mid the mid to late 2000 Warriors was after B after B Diddy left and uh, Monte Ellis. Yeah, first after came B in. Davis and when Ellis and, I, and and Ellis was the one who was trying to keep it in relevancy, and that's what D Lo is going to be. He's going to have to be their Monte Ellis, but with the point guard duties. Hmm. Well, Mont- Ellis had the point guard duties actually because he ain't had nobody. I, I think they'll be looking at some lottery picks next season. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's just the truth. Of the said, they, let's, they, just, let's just call it what it is. They they're gonna be looking at a high lottery pick next year. 
Wow. I, yo, on, can I honestly say I did not think it was going to happen this fast? But I'm so glad it did. <laughs> I'm so happy. I mean, I, I can't even say I'm, I'm happy. I just, you know, it, it's one of those, you know, I, I, I told you so. Yeah, that's what, that's what I mean by that. Like, I'm just like, I'm kind of glad I was I was right, you know? It's just like, can we, I tried can we to... talk about the real storyline here, though? It, was, it wasn't about you being right. It was about my man, The Claw, completely dismantling the Warriors franchise. I mean, Dame Lillard did the same thing to Thunder. This is this is true. Like, can we like? And I hate it. I hate it to admit it because I wanted Westbrook to 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 mollywop the the Trailblazers. I'm a, a Westbrook I, fan. Yeah, I'm only I'm only a Westbrook fan strictly because of the fact that that man puts it all. And he he literally says, "Yo, I am not friends with anybody on the court." And as anyone who's been paying attention to my Twitter in the last two weeks since the season started, my hashtag is "Make the NBA disrespectful again." Okay, <laughs> the NBA, nobody's allowed. You feel me? Like that—that's the vibes that we are on. You know what I'm saying? Carl Anthony Towns and Embiid have been talking back and forth on Twitter for for years now. Every time Embiid cooks him, he goes on Twitter and tells the world, "I just cooked this baby cat." You know what I'm saying? That's what I like to see. And it finally boiled over yesterday. And then Jimmy Butler talking about like you know how girls have love in hip hop. You know what I'm saying? They they like the drama filled. Well, this is my NBA right here. People mm-hmm. slapping each other, get out of my way, elbow in your heart. Like that's what I like to see. That's 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 basketball. That's that's what it's about. Ain't no friends, ain't no helping the other team other team up. No, no, you got teammates for that. You got you got four other guys on the court to help you up. I'm not helping you up. I think I think that's that's a that's another low key big story that that's kind of been swept under the rug a little bit. The uh the quality of big men mm-hmm. in the NBA is getting mm-hmm. than what it has been. The big, the big fellas are getting in their bag too. I'm not even gonna hold you. It's a, it's a, and it wasn't until that I started listening because I was trying to say how much of Robinson is a top, uh, top fifteen uh, center. It wasn't until I started listening to centers. Where I'm just, all right, he might be like eighteen. <laughs> he might be eighteen, nineteen, <laughs> with that, uh, with that list. But, but no, he like, top twenty. He top twenty. <laughs> nah, we nah. He eighteen. We we did the numbers. Don't don't disrespect <laughs> my boy. Um. But no, like I, I say that to say that like I agree with Tyson on the fact that the big men are, are much better than they were just maybe two seasons ago, I would say. You know, like it's it's yeah. a lot more balanced. Like almost every NBA team has a center that is capable of being built around. Except for um the team I'm looking at right now, which is the Pelicans. They have uh <clears throat> Jaleel Okafor. Anyway, um <laughs> we, we not well, we not even go there. Uh, uh, what I was gonna say is I think every team has a center is who can stretch the floor somewhat and is a good free throw shooter. Even if they mm. can't stretch the floor that much, they're good free throw shooters. Mm. There's a there's a solid seven. You know, you, you, you I was with you until you said free throw shooting. I'm like, mm. mm. On Looney can shoot free throws? Right. 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 I, I mean they're they're quite a few I mean even Okafor can shoot free throws. That's Okafor you know I mean? though. He's a post he's a he's a scorer. The scorer centers, yeah, they can shoot free throws like Lopez, Jokic, um, Demarcus, you know what I'm saying? AD, even though he doesn't like being classified. That's another thing. Can we talk about players who keep saying they don't like being classified as certain things? Listen, you play better at the center position. AD plays way better at the center position. You know, he might not like bodying up against, you know, people like Jokic and Hassan Whitesides of the world. But listen, you, you, you're a monster, all right? And you're going to play center if I tell you to play center. So there's that. Um, 
Talk about that game though. Three quarters on a bad shoulder. Forty on a points. bad shoulder. My man was in a whole mummy wrap in between substitution patterns, like, and he still gave y'all the quickest forty and twenty game of all time. Yo, I, I was saying that um, AD's dating profile looked a lot like James Harden's right then. Hmm. Enjoys long walks <laughs> to the free throw line. Long walks to the free throw line, bro. Twenty six of twenty seven. Bro, this man walked to the free throw line like ten times in a row to end the quarter, like straight up. He was just like, "Yeah, I'm going to the free throw line." That's that's, that's I'll see what you all there when you got the the capabilities. When you got the my man said, <laughs> he's like, "Fast break, meet me at the free throw line." I'll but see you there. but like AD pointed out, he would have a game like that, and the Pelicans would still be losing by twelve. You know what I'm saying? True. Yeah. And what was the Lakers up at that point? I think it was what maybe fifteen. It was like twenty, twenty something. Yeah. We, we, no, we went up a lot at that point. <laughs> he said, "No, no, no, no. We were, we were, <laughs> we were there, bro." The the run was like twenty seven five or something like that. It, it and we bad. were down six really? actually when it started, so it was probably like fifteen. You're right. They weren't getting any coal. <laughs> I mean, I'm not. Complaining. Oh yeah, no, no, no. He's he's a hundred percent right. There were, there were definitely some uh some superstar calls up in there. Yeah, but that's but that's just it. You, you see what happens when you put basketball players on the same team, you know, like people who understand cuts and picks and rolls and like knows the angles of the court. Like Anthony Davis just knows the angles on the court and where to go at a certain time. And there's very few basketball yeah. players who understand that. And like Kobe, like Kobe's the he's the king of the angles. Like Kobe would take you to one specific part of the court and tell you he had five ways of getting either a free throw. Or a, a bucket off of you. Five different ways yeah. from one spot. One spot. You know how many spots there are on the court? That's just one spot. And AD does that really well, more than more than more than most in the league. Um and uh yeah, yeah. That, that that that's that. But all right, so to end the segment, who y'all got in the three round slap box fight? Embiid or cat? Three round. Well, well, we talking like slap boxing, like shadow boxing. No, 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 like slap, just straight slap boxing. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I, I saw a video of Cat in the gym with a with a punching mm-hmm. bag. I'm I'm gonna have to put my money on. Really? Cat. Yeah, my my money's on Cat too, only because wow. Embiid always be talking. I feel like Embiid talk a lot, and I just you know naturally go with the person who don't talk that much. Okay. <laughs> All right. That makes sense. <laughs> Fire. I will. Oh my God! I'm sorry. I'm watching uh, Gary Harris is punching on all over Julie Okafor and the Drew Holiday. See, you can, um, see, we can't be talking about Embiid and Cat's fight, and then you say somebody punched it on somebody. And I'm thinking that there's another. <laughs> no I was like, intended. oh damn, I'm missing something. Listen, listen, like, oh. No, no, no pun intended. But listen, I, I'm an Embiid fan because he brought back some of this trash talking. But I think it's gonna have to be a, a not a. I'm, I'm calling it a draw. It's a draw, you know. I think Cat catches him off guard. I think Embiid gets in his head second round and catches him with a mean counter slap. Um, and then third round, they just start molly whopping each other, you know. And then Jimmy Butler comes out of nowhere and hits uh, Cat with a chair, and then Embiid takes the win. Oh my gosh, Embiid! Embiid has really been killing him on Yo, media with murder him. Hold on, hold on, time out, time you said Jimmy Butler comes and gets him with the chair. Yeah, yeah, you know, and beat nah, us. We all, we we all seen how this ends. The Ben Simmons rear naked choke. <laughs> yo, but wait, did you see that? I thought he was trying to tell him, yo, this ain't what you want to do or something like that. But son really had him in a whole choke and made him tap nah. out. 
Yeah, I don't know <laughs> what they was teaching Ben Simmons, wherever he came from. Australia, but, bro. Um, I'm saying out there in Australia. I don't know if that's how he had to take down them spiders out nah, there. Nah, kangaroo. But, you know what I'm saying? Take down Joey like that. Word. This man was like, all right, relax, relax. <laughs> but you He's put somebody down, bro. You put somebody in a, a chokehold to tell them to relax. I mean, that's pretty, that's, that's pretty, uh, what's that? What's that? People who do that, the police. Yeah, that's pretty, uh, police like Ben Simmons. <laughs> You just gonna do that to my son? But alright, cool. You know what I'm saying? I guess I guess cat wins by default. Coming your way next, we got a, our baseball aficionado, Tom Ludy, aka Tommy Farm, joining the desk, giving us our insider tips for who the next manager is gonna be for my beloved New York Mets and who the Yankees should go with as pitching coach. Stay tuned on Get Live with the <laughs> crew. You are my go-to guy for the Mets. Everything, yep. need to know something, I go to Tom. Tom, how do you feel about me? How have you feel about today, huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, you want the truth? I mean, I'm not surprised. I, I had a feeling when they started going down this road with this process, this is the way they were going to go. You know, this is the prototypical Fred Wilpon, Jeff Wilpon. Let's get somebody that we can get on the cheap that's going to be a figurehead for us that we can sit there and control. Right. You know, we knew that they weren't, you know, Joe Girardi's name obviously went out there. It was basically like I had said to other people, you know, this is a smokescreen. There was no way they were going to take Girardi on, take on the money, as well as not have full control with things because Girardi's his own man. Right. Um, well, that's, that's like doing that, too. They like they like throwing around somebody that's halfway competent and then going for the other guy. Well, no, what they what they do is they want to get the fan base going. They want they want the fan base to believe, you know what, this time we're going to do something different. Right. We're going to bring in the guy that makes the most sense. You know, we just went through two years with Mickey Callaway. And, you know, you would have thought after seeing what happened with Callaway, we do need to bring somebody in with a little bit of experience. And listen, I will, I'm a huge Joe Madden fan. Mm-hmm. I would have loved to have seen Madden come to Queens. You and I both manage this team. This would have been it. Would have been fantastic. It would have been a World Series in two years. Two years. Oh, I, <laughs> oh, I definitely think they would have made the um, the NLCS this year, this coming year, twenty twenty. Oh, yeah. I, I definitely believe that. Yeah, definitely. Um, he's definitely he he definitely has the mentality. He's a player's manager. He's somebody that a lot of people would have respected. He was a big name. No, I get it. He wanted to go home to L.A. No problem. All good. There was no reason not to sign Girardi except for the fact that, A, they didn't want to pay him, and, B, they knew they couldn't control him. Oh, yeah, absolutely not. Girardi would want to do his own thing. Right. You know, and That would be a contract. You know, and my, my biggest concern with Girardi was, I mean, it was a well-known fact. He had lost a lot of the players in the Yankees clubhouse towards the end of his tenure. There was a lot of feeling that, you know, the players didn't exactly see eye-to-eye the way he did things. You know, he was known for his binders and stuff like that. You know, he was very meticulous. Mm-hmm. He, he knew the numbers. He played with the numbers a lot. You know, and that's the way he was. And that's great, you know, especially in this day and age with the um, sabermetrics and everything else that's out there. Right. So, you know, you start going down the list and you start looking at the other guys that we interviewed. It's like, all right, so you scratch Madden off the list automatically. He was gone. Girardi, you, you knew that wasn't happening. I mean, let's be honest. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to be honest with you. The one guy that I really – Towards the end now, especially before the news broke this afternoon, I was really hoping for Eduardo Perez. Um, I thought Eduardo Perez would have been a great fit for this team. 
um, for a lot of the people that don't know much about him, other than, you know, oh, yeah, I see him on ESPN. He does TV right. stuff. He's truly one of the big up-and-comers in the game today. He's a great communicator. He understands the young player, but he grew up. You got to remember something. This is a guy who grew up with the big red machine. You know, his father, you know, obviously his father, Tony Perez, played for the Reds, played right. for um, the Expos and the Phillies and whatnot. He was always around Hall of Fame type players. He learned the game from Hall of Fame players. This, this isn't like some guy that just, you know, he grew up playing the game and whatnot. He just had the talent. I mean, he had the know-how and the baseball IQ to do the job. Right. And this guy, Perez is going to be a manager somewhere someday real soon, and he's going to be successful. You watch. So what was the, so what was the deciding factor, you think, for the Mets that was like, all right, we're going to go with Beltran over Aguado Perez? Because I can't see it. I think part of it's Omar Minaya because Minaya is a huge Beltran guy. And I think Minaya got into the ears of Brody Van Wagen and said, look, you know, I think you look at the trends of today. You look at the last couple of World Series manage, World Series champion managers. Mm-hmm. You know, you got Cora in Boston. You got Martinez in Washington. I mean, they were both first-time managers. They were rookie managers. Right. They had a little bit of experience coaching, whereas Beltran's got nothing. Zero. So right. I don't know where he's going to come into play with how his managerial skills are going to be. And it sort of worries me again because I'm not a huge Terry Collins guy. And the word is, is that he's going to bring Terry Collins on as his bench coach. Oh, my God. Yeah. I think it's – and it's funny because I did not know this myself. I had heard this earlier today mm. that when Beltran actually interviewed for the Yankee job, he had told – Brian Cashman, that if he became the manager of the Yankees, he wanted Terry Collins to be his bench coach in the Bronx. So, you know, you can sort of tell that he's got that mentality. It's almost like a um, a security blanket for him to have Terry Collins there with him. Right. You got to have that. You got to have that backup guy. You got to, you have to, since especially with no experience, you want that hat full of experience. No, you have to. In this case, absolutely. Whether it's quality experience or not. But Terry Collins. uh, you saying, but you guys saying this leads me to ask, uh, saying that leads me to ask this, and that is, do the Mets stumble out of the gate next year? And if they do, do they have enough to, uh, a, a, do they have enough of everything in place to be able to fall flat footed? Well, let's start there then. All right. It's November 1st. I mean, free right. agency, you know, just started up. The guys, you know, you can't negotiate with other players, you know, other teams' players until the 4th of November. So they say. You can't sit there today and be like, hey, look, four months from now, five months from now, if this team comes out of the gate slow, what happens? Mm-hmm. I, you know, we don't even know where the roster's going. I mean, are they going to bring Wheeler back? Or are they going to trade? Are you gonna, I doubt are you it. Gonna, I don't think they're going to bring Wheeler. I mean, he's definitely going to get the qualifying offer. Right. Maybe that scares teams off and maybe the Mets bring him back. I mean, he's going to get a four-year, $80 million deal minimum. Right. I mean, he's going to get paid. I mean, he's not Garrett Cole territory by any stretch, but he's going to get paid. And um, Tom was telling me that he actually believes we should go after Garrett Cole. And I'm, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. I think so you're going to have all this pitching, but you're going to have nobody to smack the ball around the field. Well, I, I, as a matter of fact, I think the, the young core for the regulars actually is probably their best asset they well, got at the yeah, moment. Well, yeah, the, the, the Alonzos with the McNeils of the world, you know, Conforto's a question Jamie mark. Davis. You know, is uh, Cespedes. Uh, I oh, really on, feel like on, I really feel like he was one of those dudes that said he was 16 and in reality he was like 22. He's like Greg Oden. <laughs> He's like Greg Oden, you know. <laughs> um, 
I'll be honest Jesus. with you, Cespedes is going to be an interesting situation because you know something? Take a look at Cespedes' history. Mm-hmm. When he was coming into the, his walk years, when he knew that he had a year coming up where he was oh, going to get paid. Played out of his mind. Exactly. <laughs> so you're telling me. Honey part of the match. I mean, he's got $27.5 million on the line this year. Right. You damn well know he's going to want to get paid again. I mean, he's what, 33, I think, this year, if I'm correct? 34. So, 34. Thank you. So, I mean, you know he's going to want to get paid. So, he's going to try to get back as quick as possible, put up the numbers, and be like, look, you know, my legs are fixed. My ankles are in great shape. Give me two years. Two for 20, two for 25 at minimum. Minimum, yeah. right. And then, you know, we'll, we'll play it off of there because – you know, he's still young enough to where he can collect. I mean, if he's still productive. Right. It's not like he's coming back and he's 37, 38, and it's like, I don't know if he's going to be able to walk again. I, I mean, look at Beltray. Beltray, I think, reinvented yeah. Texas, and he went there when he was 32. Yeah. Yeah, but I feel like Beltray is twice a player. That's been a... Player, yes, but hitter, they're, uh, Beltray's a better all-around hitter, but Cespedes. is... I think Cespedes was a better athlete. Yeah, Cespedes is a better athlete than Beltray. Beltray had more power and stuff, but Beltray, that guy's contact was ridiculous. Oh, yeah. Oh, sure. yeah, no, there's no question in that. That was, that was funny. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good time. But, I mean, back back to the to the, the story at the hand, fellas. I think the Mets are doing exactly what Tom said. You know, they, they got us excited with the whole Girardi. We had Madden talk for, like, a day, and that was quickly squashed. Yeah. Um, and then it just came down to a whole bunch of first-timers and whoever the Mets felt most comfortable going with. And it ended up being Beltron. Now, I think, like, if it is Terry Collins, I mean, granted, we could pick someone so much better to be the bench coach. But, I mean, our manager, pick, that's his guy. You know, let, at least let him get his one guy and then we try to fill out the pitching coach. Uh, wait, well, we, we, we're, we're keeping um, – who do we who do we get last year? The seventy five year old. What's his name again? Phil Regan. Oh, Phil Regan. He's he's back, right? For well, no. Team. Well, yeah. It's funny you bring that up. Actually, I'm glad you brought that up. So Phil Regan's still technically under contract, but he's technically also not the pitching coach for the Mets. It's a weird situation with him. Yeah, he's like a, he's a, an associate or something. He's right? still considered oh, like an yeah, gotcha. sort of like a um. He's sort of like a coach slash um, mentor. Yeah, mentor type of thing. I don't know if you guys are aware of this. He's actually down in Puerto Rico right now with a bunch of the Mets pitchers working on them with Winterball right now down in Puerto Rico. Really? Yeah. And if he decides not to go with Phil Regan, because, I mean, you know, hey, Phil Regan may not want to go, you know, a full season of yet this. You know, he's 83 years old. I mean, he may not want to do it. I mean, there is some names out there that are intriguing. And one of the guys that I want to bring up actually real quick that the Mets are looking at that I think could be a very interesting proposition for pitching coaches, a guy by the name of Chris Fetter. Mm. Chris is a pitching coach for the University of Michigan, but he's a rising star for getting pitchers mechanically and mentally prepared and whatnot in college. The Yankees actually just interviewed him for their pitching coaching job this past week. Yeah, because they let Larry Rothschild go, obviously. So, yeah, Chris Fetter is the name to look at. Another one would be Rich Kranitz. Mm -hmm. Uh, Rich Kranitz was the pitching coach for the Phillies most recently, and he's had a great track record as well of getting pitchers together and getting the most out of his guys. Right. So there's what type of Vetter is like. How do you feel about that leap from the pros to from college to the pros? You think that's gonna it's work affect him at all? 
you I know? mean, it's been done before and it's worked. So, I mean, it, he wouldn't be a trailblazer in trying to do it. So it's been, we've seen test cases before. If I'm correct, the, um, oh man, is it the pitching coach for the Angels? I'm trying to think who it is. He, there, there was another guy, and I can't think of who it is off the top of my head, but he, the guy for the Cincinnati Reds, actually, now he was the guy, he pitched, um, he was a pitching coach where Sonny Gray was the pitching coach in, or was pitching in college. Mm. Okay. And Sonny, he got hired to be the pitching coach in Cincinnati this past year, and Sonny Gray had an all-star type season. Yeah, well, he needs to pitch in an obscure place with nobody looking at him. <laughs> but they also, but they also were able to bring somebody in from the college ranks that was able to get into his head and get him straight after what he went through in the Bronx and pitching in Oakland and stuff. Yeah, he really started well, he to show. You know? in Oakland. <laughs> I'm, he was the number one in Oakland, pretty much. Yeah, he was. Yeah, you know, so it's like that, that, that transition. That's that. That's a Zach Greinke mental issue, if you ask me. To be honest with you, sure. He can. He only got better. Granted, the coach could have helped, but that guy has no sack. Fuck you, Sonny Gray. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like it. The pitching coach that uh, you were referring to, Tom, for the Reds, Derek Johnson. He was the pitching coach at uh, the University of Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt. Um, that's him. And thank you. I had uh, my uh, Yankees cousin that's why i refer to him man shout out to jordan uh he actually texted me two days ago talking about those same candidates for the yankees about how they're both uh one of them i think set up the analytical apartment for i forgot which school it was uh for their baseball team and the results were pretty uh promising so that's part of the reason why they brought him in for the interview for the pitching coach i'm like all right so before i let both of you go we'll we'll ask tom because i know he'll give a more in-depth answer and chef i'll ask you because i know you'll give a very truthful answer um, Tom, with yeah. the way things are going right now with analytics, right, and how mm-hmm. every to the equation as to who needs the bat, who needs the pitch at what certain position in the game, right? How long do you think it is before? Because you know everything's cyclical. How long do you think it is before we're back to the old? I just got a good feeling about putting this player in this position, type of baseball. I think this is the wave of the future, to be honest with you. And it's proven itself because of the fact, you know, you look at teams like Tampa Bay, you look at teams like Houston, you know, teams that have adopted it and ran with it. Boston's another one. I mean, what have they done lately? All they're doing is winning. Right. So until something happens to where the analytics either fall off or, you know, teams start finding other ways to win games where they can get away without having to go that route. I mean, I, I think it's here to stay, to be honest with you. I mean, look, Moneyball has been a proven commodity for 20 years. Right. I mean, Billy Bean has made a career of it, and it's the man's a legend with it. Because <laughs> right. of it. I mean, if he could keep it going in a small market team like Oakland, and he could continue to make the postseason, and he can continue to win games the way he is with the roster that he's putting together, I mean, there's no reason to say this isn't this is going anywhere. Right. This is the way this is the way it's going to be. Now certain things like the shift, certain defensive metric stuff and defensive positioning. I think that's going to change because I think eventually hitters are going to start realizing how to beat these things. They have to. Right. You just start just be just be able to learn how to hit to all fields. It's really that simple. Well, I'll tell you what. No, what you need to do is, is you need to frick, go back to the basics and learn how to bunt. Or that. <laughs> said, I mean, seriously, bunt, it's as bunt. simple as that. And I, I just can't understand. We're so home, home run happy in this day and age of baseball. And, you know, with the ball obviously being juiced. Holy Christ. You know, it's 
it's really fallen by the wayside. And there was something that was brought up earlier today. They were talking about Carlos Beltran going back to him. And he was saying, you know, never coached, never managed. I mean, the guy played, but that was it. But look at the game today. Think about how much of the game has been taken out. You know, the, the strategy of the game has been taken out of it. Oh, 100%. So, I mean, there's not a huge learning curve to like get onto was. the bench and coach or manage at this time. This isn't like the 1980s where every other move was some type of chess move being strategic to try to figure out what was going to happen two and three batters ahead. Right. The only thing that goes on today, can you hit the ball 450 friggin' feet? <laughs> I mean, that's the game today. It sucks. I mean, it's sad to say. I mean, I grew up watching the game in the 80s and 90s, and it was a much more thought process game than it is today. And they need to start going back to that. Yeah. But you know what I can't stand too is with you listen to these people on the T on TV, these commentators talking about, oh, you know, if this guy gives up this one run shot to this guy, then you could strike out. Nobody, I don't want to hear that. Every hitter should be a dangerous type of hitter. Every hitter should be able to make contact right. all to all fields. Right. Every hitter should be a professional. I shouldn't have to sit here and watch players such as Aaron Judge. Yeah, I'm calling you out, buddy. You're one of my favorite players. But Giancarlo Stanton just swinging at the hilt into the to the skies, trying to crank this ball out of the park. I I can't stand it. What happened to breaking down your swing, choking up a little bit, and fucking getting on base? It's what all, happened to that? Well, it's because they, everybody jumped on the whole you know angle of the swing and this, that, and everything else. I mean, like I said, they took the strategy out of the game and they made it basically an all or nothing deal. I mean. It's like the old Earl Weaver thing, you know, get, you know, get a bloop, a blast, and, you know, a bloop, a single, and a home run is you three-run home and you win the game. I mean, right. you can't play with that mentality because, I mean, take a look at the strikeout rates in the game today. I mean. Oh, it's unreal. It's unreal. Yeah. Uh, Mickey Mantle, a couple times in his career, didn't even break 100 strikeouts in a season. Ted Williams had like 60 strikeouts in a season. So I know this is like ancient players I'm talking about here. <laughs> It's like Jesus Christ, well, and also too. Like I want to get my piece in real quick yeah, on the whole analytics thing. Yeah. With the analytics in baseball, it's a necessity, and it, and it's proven to work, like you guys have been saying. Mm-hmm. But in the same sense, it, the overusage is just uh, micromanaging the game in a game that should just be played out naturally. I so I I think there's a place for analytics in the game, but I do agree with you. I think it's overused. Yeah, and the thing is, is I can't take. The, switch on every batter i can't take sitting here watching adam Avino pitch into one guy and then you put in canely to pitch into one other guy why in the hell is it like oh my god like it's literally one of the most frustrating things in the world is watching this game be micromanaged by something that could just be played out and found to its natural end in a sense Mm -hmm. i also know i'm not managing and coaching and teaching at the highest level of the sport i get that but in the sense is Granted, you're making it more fun for fans to see these home runs. I, I I get it. But at the same time, it's like, don't you just fall in love with the game for what it is? And also, too, I feel like we need to make a T-shirt for Get Live with the Crew that says, take exit velocity out of baseball. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree with you. I Nobody you. gives a shit. I, I, I definitely hear that. you there. I, think we can I mean, that. that's just for the fans, though. And, but I'll tell you what, though, and the problem with that also becomes is that gets into the players' heads. Yeah. You know, you you got players that are sitting there. You know, you look at Giancarlo Stanton, and he puts one out at 117 miles an hour, and it's like, you know what? 
I'm going to swing harder next time because I bet you I could do it 119. What was the difference? The ball's still going 460 feet. Right. It doesn't. What the hell are you worried about? It doesn't matter. First of all, if if I find out Giancarlo Stanton's worried about his exit velocity and he played nine games the whole year, I swear (laughs) to God, I'm showing up at his house and fighting him. (laughs) I swear on everything, Giancarlo, I will find your address and come for you. I don't care if you're six foot seven and you're really jacked, I'll shoot you in the kneecap. All right. Just I had to get that off my chest too. You, I, I'm sorry for the for for all the new people in attendance. No, you're good. Man. Attendance, no, it's cool. <laughs> Stan understands. Like, just don't even don't mention Des Bryant. Whatever you do, don't mention Des Bryant. <laughs> <laughs> where, wait, where is Des Bryant? Can we can we sit down to Amber and look for Des? I feel like we haven't seen him. You can just you can get a you can get an E note on the world's smallest violin. Okay. All right. Cool. <laughs> sounds good. Sounds good. But fellas, listen, I appreciate your time. I appreciate your your wonderful answers. Um, be sure to come back. You know, Tom, you gotta come back on the show, man. I appreciate you having me on, man. Tom, it's just I a need blast. more people for baseball segments, Tom. I need more people for baseball. Hey, you guys got my information, man. Hit me up anytime. I'm always willing to talk baseball. All right, Tom. Thank you, man. We appreciate you. All right, man. I appreciate it. You guys have a great night. All right. If you're listening to this, that means you made it to the end of our show. And we appreciate you as always tuning in faithfully. You know, but would you know what we'll appreciate even more if you guys were subscribe, 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 whether it's you guys are subscribing to our monthly packages or here on Anchor, which range from a dollar to ten dollars um, or Apple Podcasts, Spotify, um, any of those channels, you know, all of those would be greatly appreciated. But remember, next week, next week, we go back to Twitch for our live stream edition of Get Live with the Crew. Um, it's going to be bi-weekly, like I keep reminding you guys. Um, so next week we're going to be there and then not the week after that but the week after that we'll be back on the live stream but once again thank you for tuning in give life the crew subscribe tell your mother your sister your cousin your auntie your brother your godmother your cousin twice removed all them and uh we'll see y'all next week all right you can you can stop listening now. you can actually exit out the app right now <laughs>